Hi, welcome to another episode of Creativity Inside and Out. Today we are here in Southern California and our guest is Jeff Miller Sachs. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me and thanks for coming out to my home to do this. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, this is great and very, very gracious of you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Before we sit down and talk, mm -hmm. I'd love to show you a few quick things oh, that, that cool. I think would be fun because you've never been here before. Yeah, that would be really cool. So aside from in here in our music room where we're going to be spending time, okay. I want to show you a few fun little things that I've done to decorate. Okay, what do you got? Well, you remember me from when I had long hair. Long curly hair. Yes. Crazy long curly hair, yeah. I have a very dear friend in England. Her name is Lori Slee, and uh -huh. she is one of the most talented artists I've ever met. Uh -huh. There was on social media a debate of whether or not I should cut my hair at one point. And she drew this amazing caricature of me with half long hair. You look hair, very confused in that. Half short <laughs> hair. I'm always very confused. That I looks live like in so, two worlds. That also looks like those caricatures you get like at fairs where yeah. they draw you, you know? She's an incredible artist. Uh -huh. So it seemed naked on the wall by itself. And though I don't like pictures of me, I don't even like looking at myself in the mirror in the you morning. Yeah. That, it just scares me. Yeah. I thought it would be a good idea to show a couple of pictures of me, one with long hair, one with short hair, uh -huh. to make this story make sense. Uh -huh. So up top, we have a picture from the Shadows of Night reunion concert for the CD that we'll talk about later. Okay. With the long hair, playing mm -hmm. guitar, my main instrument. Uh -huh. And down below is a few years later, playing percussion with the short hair. Cool. So, I like it. I like that it. That tells that Your story. Your transformation. Yes. All right. What else My do you kind have? of legit. And over here in the hallway behind you, in mentioning the Shadows of Night, they mm -hmm. were very famous in the 60s. They were really a groundbreaking act. And we'll talk about them America more the in, in the interview. Yeah. We were just inducted into the Illinois Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Very cool. So I just got the trophy. That is so beautiful. Oh my gosh. And so it was really just it's such an honor it says on route 66 yes and yeah. above it is a portrait that my late wife janine who you met uh -huh. drew of our first dog laddie oh. i found that doing a cleanup and i found the frame in the garage and they were a perfect match they are so yeah i get to see laddie every day now oh that's really cute oh and okay. we'll come down the hallway and so in here, where we'll be talking, is the music part of my music life. Uh -huh. Along here is some of the business okay. part of my music life that is all towards the Giving Shelter fundraiser that we'll talk about. And we're going to talk about that more, too. Right. <laughs> so the first thing is a picture of my favorite female singer. One of my favorite singers of all time is Kiki D. Oh, yeah. And... I got the music in me. Exactly. And don't go breaking my heart. Mm -hmm. uh, Lori, the friend who drew that picture, is friends uh -huh. with Kiki and got this poster autographed by Kiki and her partner Carmelo wow. for me. And just such a sweet thing to see when I come down the stairs every day. That is. And as I said, with Giving Shelter that we'll get into, not only do I do music, but I, I have a line of instrument tuners and some speakers, mm -hmm. high-end audio speakers mm -hmm. that I bring to market and all the profits from that go towards 
helping cancer patients and their families. Oh, that is so And nice. the first year out, we won a Best in Show at uh -huh. the NAM Show, which is the National Association of Music Merchants, the biggest musical instrument trade show in America. It is massive. It is huge. It's, I don't know, 90,000 people attend that show, something like that? Yeah, at least, because <laughs> yeah. there's never a parking space anywhere near. <laughs> right. Anywhere near the, the building. Right. We also had, I was honored that MMR, Musical Merchandise Review, one of the three big trade magazines in the music products industry, did a beautiful write-up on giving shelter and um, what oh, we're trying nice. to do, which was really great. Um, there's me at the booth and our friend Michael. That's Michael. Michael Bybee. And Josh Egan, who produced uh -huh. Giving Shelter. Uh -huh. That's Janine and Bernard Fowler from the Rolling Stones, Lee Bench, who owns the Steakhouse where we recorded, the Steakhouse Recording, recording Studio, Studio in North Hollywood, And Ken California. Isaac Nagel, who was one of the best engineers I've ever mm -hmm. had a chance to work with. Mm -hmm. And you. And me. And that was really <laughs> fun. And then here is a beautiful write-up on the speakers in Downbeat Magazine. And what speakers are these? These, these are, are Christopher speakers, Christopher referencing speakers okay. that are made by a gentleman named Christopher Egan in Las Vegas. Uh -huh. These speakers might sound like they're expensive, but they compete with $70,000 drivers. And the whole pair of speakers is only $20,000. Wow. These speakers are so good, and the, cl the clarity and presence is so unbelievable that when I heard Giving Shelter, the uh -huh. CD, on these, uh -huh. we had to remix it. Oh, really? Because I heard things, things that, that I didn't, didn't hear, hear on the other studio speakers. Wow, wow. So that's what's really cool here. And then over here, um, the Shadows of Night, back when they were at the top of their game, yeah. signed by three of the surviving members of the band. And along with that, beneath it is the letter from the Illinois Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, mm. inducting us. It goes with the award. It goes with the award. The blue, the blue pretty award, yeah. So it was really, really cool. Yeah. And then the last part of this little tour. This is great, I love this. Thank you. <laughs> this is my home office, this is where I work every day. Uh -huh. and oh, so this is where you are when we're talking. Exactly. Yeah, okay. And over here is Janine, my late wife, uh -huh. and a memorial to her. Uh -huh. So she's right by my side every day, which is amazing because everything that is good in me or good about me is because of or enhanced by Janine. And on the other side are our five dogs. So uh, Laddie and Crash, Laddie is who I mentioned at the beginning on uh -huh. the bottom were our first two dogs, then Sandy and Bear. Uh -huh. And then you met Sweet Pea. I met Sweet Pea. Sweet Pea just, yeah. just left us. She just went off to college. <laughs> oh, oh, bless her heart. And yeah, she was precious. Yeah, and up top is a little homage to my family, my father, my mother, grandparents. Okay. Elliot and my father's younger, younger brother, youngest of the three. Elliot, Bill. your uncle. Yes. Uh-huh. Dave Crouch was my first friend when I came out to California, a very famous jazz singer whose father was a pallbearer in Louis Armstrong's funeral. Oh, wow. Another okay. L.A. legend. Right, right. Janine's two Some brothers. And a young lady in Haiti named Marie Maud Charles, who we sponsored basically from 
year one to her 18th birthday. Oh, when that she was really nice. I remember you talking about that, yeah. What a sweet young yeah. lady she turned out to yeah. be. We'll talk more about other things. Right. So anyway, that's, okay. that's the five cent tour. Right, all right. So what do you say now? We go out to his music room and we, we talk in depth about a whole bunch of things. Excellent. Hi, we are here now with Jeff in his music room, which is fantastic. He's got Thank guitars, you. he's got keyboards, he's got a mixer, he's got percussion, he's got drums. I mean, it's a total jam fantasy in here. <laughs> yeah, it is a dream room. It's something that I've always wanted. And after the last flood in the house, it seemed like the perfect nice. time to do it. And yeah. so I hung the speakers, hardwired speakers, and made this into a working room where I'd come downstairs and or leave my office that we were in earlier uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I can just bang out something if, if yeah. the, the spirit moves me. So I always have does. instruments at my beck and call all the time yeah. instead of being boxed up in closets or in the garage <laughs> right. or in the storage unit. They're here to be used. That happens a lot. People put instruments in the cases and they can't get to them or right. it's so a pain much effort, to plug them, them in. Up, put them down, bring speakers out That's and set true. them up for when yeah. people come over like they used to before the pandemic. Right, right. And, but it's, it's my, my happy yeah. place. Yeah. Now, one of the first things we talk about on the show is how we first met. Do we have to talk about prison again? <laughs> He's very funny. <laughs> yeah. Those well, were the good years. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We met through my aunt and uncle. Uh-huh. Elliot and Selma Sachs. And cousin Brian. Uh-huh. And Elliot used to tell me about you. He's got this amazing friend and that I should meet because we have a commonality with music and music. sound and acting and all these things. And he was right. And he talked to me all the time. He's like, you gotta meet my nephew, you gotta meet my nephew. And so finally it happened at a Thanksgiving at their house. I, you know what, I really don't remember the timelines if it was a Thanksgiving, a New Year's, or Brian's wedding. I, I, I think we met before Brian's wedding, but it could have been a New Year's too. It could yeah. have been. Yeah. I, but we met and that's what's important. And we're family. Yeah. 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 Which is great. Let's talk a little bit about where you grew up. Boston yeah. and Hartford are the two places that I called home. I was born okay. in Boston and um, I ran away from home and instead of joining the circus at 15 years old I went to college because it was safer than that. You, or, but you literally ran away from home? Or? Well, I planned it. Uh -huh. I, 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 at 15? At 15, I found a way to get to college and I moved down to Connecticut. Um, had to go back and finish a little more high school, but um, basically got my life started in Connecticut, went back after that little bit of high school where I nearly flunked out because once you're in Paris and then go back to the you farm, didn't want, yeah. it, it just was so difficult. I had difficult. to do that in college. I graduated and then they said, you're three units shy. I walked in graduation wow. and they said you're three units shy and then I had to go back and take one more class. Yeah. It, was, it was 
Oh, I had no. a battle with that in yeah. high school. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, so anyway, um, and then I, I, I studied music at the Hart School of Music at the University of Hartford and uh, apprenticed and then worked at a recording studio in Hartford mm. and others around New England and where I got hooked up with bands and touring and, and uh, unfortunately I had this little thing called cancer that um, mm. put me in the hospital and the aforementioned aunt and uncle Selman Elliott said come out to the coast sit by the pool read a book relax and after five minutes of sitting by the pool and reading a book I found that this was not for me I got a job on my recuperation vacation uh -huh. where I met Janine, uh -huh. who was on holiday from the UK. Right. She was my boss, and six weeks later we eloped. You got involved with your boss. <laughs> Guilty. Is the best thing I ever did. I got lucky. She tricked me into marrying her. How and how long was that after you first met? Six weeks. Wow, that's fast. And she had one week off for the flu. <laughs> we, we only had one date. I cooked dinner for her. She didn't die. <laughs> and and um, she started talking about, well, you know, I have to go back home. My best friend's getting married and I have my life back there. Hey, why don't you come with me? To the UK. To the UK. Uh -huh. um, you can live with my family because my brothers have moved out so there's extra room uh -huh. and you can live there and you'll do so much better with your music in England and she started listing off all these Americans like like um, Simon and Garfunkel, Huey Lewis and, right. and on and on and on who went to the UK and got Jimi Hendrix even went to the UK first and then came oh, back to America when they were really? already well known in England really? and they had a better shot at it. So she was hitting me right where I live uh -huh. and I'm thinking, yeah, that sounds great. And then she says, and we have national health there so you can have great medicine and you don't have to worry about insurance and paying for it and all that and you can live with us. And as we're getting closer and closer, mm -hmm. she said, you know what we really need to do? Cause I got to go back. My best friend's getting married. I gotta go to the wedding. So why don't we get married here? So that way, when you come back to England, you'll already have work permission. You'll already be on national health. We'll be ready to go. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> okay. So she made the schedule so I could have a day off and she called in sick. And we went down to the, the courthouse in downtown LA near the Amundsen Theater and we got married. That's brave of you, but you knew, you knew. We, we, we never even kissed till our wedding. That's weird, okay. But, but we <laughs> talked every day. Uh -huh. And have you ever been on an air, airplane? Have you ever flown somewhere? <laughs> Where are you going with this? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oftentimes when you're on an airplane, and you're sitting next to a stranger, mm -hmm. they or you will talk about things that they won't talk about with people in their lives. Oh, that's true. They'll lay it out because they know that after the plane ride's over, it's, it's, you're probably never gonna see, see each, each other, other again. again. So yeah. it's like therapy for a few yeah. hours. Yeah. We were like that. We talked every day and she, yeah. would, she would go out on dates or to parties or things at night and she'd call me from the dates and stupid blockhead here didn't understand that she liked me like me. 
<laughs> I just thought she liked was me. Was it when she said, let's get married? That was, that was kind of a... Uh, I just thought this is the best friend I could ever have. That's I the way really, it should be. I really, was a be. box of rocks, yeah. and you're right. Yeah. I married my best friend. Yeah, that's the way it should be. And, and so we talked about everything. Yeah. And we were both going through this mental checklist, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking about how smart she is, how funny. Of course, she was very easy on the eyes. Yeah. She had a great heart. She was the most intelligent, intellectual, and street smart combination of anyone I'd ever met. And great sense yeah. of humor, yeah. and, and just had it all together. Yeah. And she supported you with your music. Yes, and well, she supported me with my health first. That first, yeah. And, and she she was incredible. That's why I say she saved my life. She gave me a life. Yeah. And then before she passed, she gave me permission to have this life again. Yeah, yeah. So nice. yeah, we learned about yeah. each other. We're going through this checklist. She's like, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't really swear. He's a good hard worker. He's this. All these things that. None of her prior She didn't know you very well, have. did she? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm thinking of all this. She's intelligent. She's intellectual. She's funny. She just, she's got it all together. Yeah. And oh my goodness, yeah. this, this yeah. seems too good to be true. Yeah. Let's go back to your music now. Okay. Let's go back to when you first started playing. What was the first instrument that you learned? Um, I, violin in third grade. I never knew that. Are you serious? Dead serious. And I tried. I wouldn't make this up. <laughs> I tried it for three years and it just, I didn't know about Charlie Daniels and Jean-Luc Ponty uh, and Jeff Cook from the band Alabama and all these great jazz and country and it, it, that kind of fiddle yeah. and violining, so yeah. to speak. It was all classical, It was right? all classical, but it was all like we called it Bugs Bunny music. It didn't really mean anything to kids except for that it was on the background of Bugs Bunny cartoons. And I played viola at the same age, so I know wow. exactly what you're talking about. So yeah. I didn't get it. I tried. But I, my, my love of music happened initially as a baby in the crib. There was a song on the radio that I liked. Uh-huh. And I'm reaching, reaching for the radio. Like how old were you when you did I this? I was in a crib. I don't know. Six months, eight months, maybe a little, a little because you could reach out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm right. reaching yeah. out, and as I'm reaching, the side of the crib fell, and I fell down, and I broke my collarbone. As a baby, ribs, as a baby, <laughs> and that was how I, I knew that the music industry hurts. Yeah, all oh, right. <laughs> but I, I had a love of music at that very early age, uh -huh. and then I remember sitting on the floor, hands like this, elbows on the hardwood floors, watching the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. And it, it, there was something subconsciously that clicked with me that this was powerful ah, stuff. Ah. So I had a love of music. See, and that's an different for me. My brother and I, I was young too, when Ed Sullivan, when the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan, and he and I were lying on the, on the family room floor laughing hysterically, rolling around laughing because we thought it was the most ridiculous thing we'd ever seen. Little did we know, you know, that right. they would be the Beatles. I was. You know? going to school. That was my first master class, essentially, watching the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Oh. That was my first master class. Then yeah. came Elvis in the 68 comeback special. Uh-huh. And holy cow. Uh-huh. Again, the power that music and musicians had. Oh my gosh. Formulating ideas. Yeah. At an early age. I was seven and a half, eight years old at that point. I was three and a half when the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan. And then Woodstock happened. 
in the whole... What year Wood was that? Woodstock was 60, 1969. I was thinking 68, it was 69? 69, and what happened there was the whole world saw the power of music and a youth movement. Mm. You had this convergence, half a million people coming to Yasger's farm for music. Yeah. And that's really the birth of the modern music industry. Oh, yeah. You know, I see what you're saying. Absolutely. And right after that... I remember that the press that got at the time, even though I was young too. Yeah. The press that got and the attention that got. And, 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 and that the musicians that played their got. Yes, yes. They became the patriarchs of modern music. Uh-huh. We... At the, by that time, from the, the, from the Beatles when they first hit in 64 mm -hmm. to 69, all of a sudden there was this, our generation of music. Mm -hmm. the, the 50s started it with Elvis. Which the Who Shuckberg. sang about, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, my generation. That was a band I was in. Um, not the Who, but my generation. And, it was and a I British interviewed invasion. Roger Daltrey. Wow. <laughs> not later. Right, right. You know, but. So, so those were the roots of the music, and the thing that I was formulating was soon after George Harrison's concert for, Bang for Bangladesh, for the flood victims yeah. of Bangladesh, and yeah. John Lennon doing the bed-ins for peace, and things like John and Yoko actually doing their bed-ins and sit-ins and all that for peace. I remember that, yeah. And as after Bangladesh, there was another shift musically, and this is what I glommed onto because by this time I was an early teenager, dyslexic, so I stunk in math, so there's no way I was going to be an accountant or a lawyer. There's too much to read. <laughs> and I couldn't stand the sight of blood, so I wasn't going to be a doctor. <laughs> and I realized that by this time you had Marlon Brando uh, sitting in and speaking for the Native Americans. Mm. Marlon Brando was the actor of the day, the Godfather, and all the, on the waterfront, Big and all time. these amazing movies. So there was this counterculture that was really driven by the creative arts uh -huh. that had a voice, uh -huh. and they also had the money to walk the talk. True to put on events and to sponsor causes and be a voice for causes. Mm -hmm. And that all clicked with me. Mm -hmm. See, I didn't really get into it for sex, drugs, and rock and roll, although the rock and roll part, yes. <laughs> I got into it because it, what I was formulating from Ed Sullivan show on was this is how I could do something valuable and make a difference. Something meaningful. And meaningful. You know, and I think, I think you are you know, you're talking about the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I think you're a, an exception to the rule because I think most, I don't want to stereotype, but I'll say a lot of musicians are in it for the self-validation, um, whatever it may be, right? Mm. You know, and to be a star or whatever, but you were doing it for other reasons and yeah. you continue to do it for other yeah. reasons, you know. Yeah, I, I, it just, those are my classrooms. Yeah. And yeah. that meant so what did you learn how to play after you gave up the violin? <laughs> um, I tried drums, but again, being dyslexic, cross-dominant, and uh, ambidextrous, I, I couldn't coordinate to play drums. Oh. I, but I was writing poetry at an early age. Uh -huh. And then this guy named Elton John came on the scene. 
Yeah. And it turned out he had a songwriting partner who wrote all the words, Bernie Taupin. Bernie Taupin. And I said, that's how I can get into music. And I started writing poetry uh -huh. a lot. And as I mentioned, I went to college at an early age and mm -hmm. I had a professor in a creative writing class who said to me, gee, that poem looks like a song lyric. So I ran out. That was I the was, right thing to say to you, it wasn't really it? It really was. I was about, <laughs> about 17 at the time. Okay. And I ran out to a department store because I didn't know what a musical instrument store was. And uh -huh. I bought a, a guitar, which is up on the wall. I still have my original guitar. Oh my gosh. And, and a Mel Bay guitar lesson book that had tablature had in the back. Yeah. And I started writing. I think writing, I still have those books. I yeah. started strumming chords until I figured out that first song. One led to four, six was only two more. Uh -huh. And I realized I needed a teacher. Okay. And I got a, a teacher who, there are teachers, there are good teachers, and there are great teachers. And Steve Geyer was a great teacher because he realized I was not the kind of person who was going to learn out of a book. Oh, sight yeah. reading and all that didn't didn't stimulate right. me. I was already writing songs. Seems like a great teacher, as you're saying that, would work with the person. Yes. And their strengths and recognize their weaknesses as the, well. That's right? what he did. And he, I would bring him songs and the way he would teach me guitar was by saying, here, try doing the chord this way. Or maybe try this thing uh -huh. over here and just throw little suggestions and he was sneaking in education and we'd also talk about well maybe these words should be tweaked a little bit mm. because that'll make it more universal and he got me to think about writing in a different way mm -hmm. and then Steve was uh, a big fish in a little pond performing wise and he would get these gigs like one was warming up for squeeze when they were in Squeeze. town. I remember Squeeze, yeah. And Steve would always bring me up on stage and have me perform with him and his band or his whatever cool outfit he was is doing. That? So I got to warm up for Squeeze yeah. at a very early age and get that experience of a big stage. Yeah. And he was mentoring me on that, how to behave on stage and how to present myself and present the songs. Right. So Which is an art form in and of itself. You he know? was teaching me all the things that I needed to do for my craft as opposed to learning scales, which I wish I had done. <laughs> but The fundamentals. But he got me <laughs> passionate about it. Uh -huh. It's really hard to be passionate about exercise unless you're really seeing results that you, you, you can take these things and apply, and apply them to something. Them. Yeah. So he applied chords and things to my songs mm -hmm. that I was writing. Mm -hmm. And then he put me on stage to perform the songs so I'd get that. Education. And how old were you at this time? 17. Right. Is this when you did the song that you have the video of? Oh, to be 17? Uh -huh. No, actually, um, we'll get into that. But I wrote that, ironically, at 19. I was so old and wise then <laughs> and nostalgic. And, and uh, I, I was working on campus, uh, working campus security, and I graduated from parking lots in the middle of winter <laughs> oh, guy. to being in the music school, which was warmer. <laughs> right. And I'd, I'd been playing and I'd been taking a couple of classes at the music school. So 
I would, while I was walking my beat, I would sneak into the practice rooms, what we called the cells, because they were cinder block little rooms with a little upright piano in them. Uh -huh. And they were as dingy and as uninspiring <laughs> as possible. But for me, who was writing new songs all the time, it was great. Well, I'd had a falling out with my parents. Uh. I had, um, again, I, I had a breakup with the girl I was seeing, and all these things were happening. And I sat down at a piano in the practice rooms and I started working on this thing. Mm -hmm. And words started to develop and I started getting into it. And my boss, the head of campus security, walks in and says, sounds great, get yourself up to the office, I'll see you up there. Uh -oh. Instead of driving me up, and he put me on suspension. I never went uh, back. Oh no! And so it's like, okay, I lose my job. I'm struggling in school. My parents are ticked off at me. I lose my girlfriend. What else could go wrong? And that's what that song was about. Oh, I wanted okay. to go back to a time when everything was firing on all cylinders. Right. Right. Gotcha. So you know what? You you still have that video, right? Yeah. Can we yeah. watch that? Sure. Right, but it's still pictures, you said? Or? Yeah, it's still pictures. It's, what I did is in 2007, I, I found some old photo albums and had some current pictures of me performing in different parts of the world or at, at the NAMM shows. Right. And also pictures from back in the day. Right. Long hair, short hair, all that, that <laughs> right. kind of thing again, and put them together of that nostalgic to be 17. Right. And here I was older. So it's a recording of the song with the pictures being shown. Right. Can you, when we watch it, can you explain to us, can you just tell us real briefly what the different pictures are because we won't know. Oh, sure, so, sure. Okay. So this was from the very first rock concert at the Classical Conservatory that I went to. And in fact, as I recall from the picture, we were playing Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding by Elton John. Um, <laughs> I was a showman at the time. We had a 13-piece show band. It's a fun time. Kind of a before and after view, me playing at that concert at the conservatory and me playing at a NAMM show at The Hang, which was the big concert that opened the show. Very different look. T-shirt, ripped jeans, bare feet versus the white tux tails sort of thing. A lot of fun. I used to be able to fly, but I had to have a 50-foot guitar cable in order to do that because this was back before there was wireless. Another before and after similar pose, the left from that concert, the right was in Hong Kong at a big pub called Bulldogs, uh, sitting in with a band there. Um, a before and after, the long curly Howard Stern hair and then more conservative, newer me. Uh, the guitar I'm playing is a Traveler guitar. I was one of their first endorsers, and I have several models hanging up on the wall. More from Hong Kong. This was with one of my regular bands there, and um, wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, they, they did something really cool for me for a birthday when I was in town. The singers, it was so funny. They said, Jeff, Jeff, it's time to go. Our car's outside, you gotta go. Well, let me put my guitar back in my room. No, no, it's too late, we gotta go. Hurry up. And we get into their car, which was a taxi cab, and they took us to the um, club district for the locals. I was the only Westerner in the, in the club. And um, they surprised me, these 
musicians up on stage didn't speak English. All I could hear them say was Rockstar Los Angeles and my name and the, the band from the, that I was playing with had hooked me up with these guys. We packed this club, everybody was singing along. They knew all the words to all the songs but they didn't speak any English outside of that. But what a memorable birthday. This was my first performance at the Saga Musical Instruments booth at the NAMM show with Caleb Quay, my guitar hero, the man whose playing inspired me to pick up a guitar when I first started songwriting, playing along with me in my band at the booth. That was just like a dream come true. Little poser. <laughs> but a close-up of the headstock, and again, with the, the, that's, the reason I chose the picture is because I'm giving everybody else a round of applause, just like this one here. And thank you for listening and putting up with my stories. That is really fun it and is. a lot of memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm glad I did it. It's it's a demo as far as the recording, uh -huh. and it was from open reel tape bounced to cassette and then uh -huh. bounced to MP3. So the the fidelity is not that great, but right, it still um, it brings back memories. It's yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. Thanks for sharing that oh, with us. Thanks for it's putting very up cool. with it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know. Um, we uh, we spent some time together at the NAMM show, yes. at a few NAMM shows actually, yes. and uh, you had a booth and everything. But um, I remember you you were p performing in the Saga booth. Yes, yes, and the guitar that I'm going to use today was one that Saga made for me. Oh, cool! And there's some cool stories yeah. with that. Yeah, and um, but I was watching and. I think Bobby Kimball from Toto went up on stage with you. Bobby, Spencer Davis, Spencer Jeff, Davis. Jeff Cook from Alabama, Spencer Jeff Pivar. Um, oh my goodness. Who's Jeff Pivar? Jeff Pivar Forgive was me. with David Crosby's band CPR. Okay. He also toured with Crosby, Stills and Nash, Ray Charles, Joe Cocker, Ricky Lee Jones, Jeez. on and on and on. So I'm standing there watching you on stage and I thought, how does this guy know? Because I know you personally, right? Yeah. And I thought, I had no idea, you know, and your uncle could talk you talk about you to the ends of the earth, but I had no idea how many people you knew and and have played with and and you that you had up on stage with you. So how yeah. do you know all these people, all these incredible musicians? Prison. <laughs> Once again, man, yeah. that prison time paid well, off. <laughs> um, several I met in my first iteration, working out of the studios back east. Okay. And became friends, and and others uh, I met through my work. In Nam, right. I was I started as a consultant when I first started IMS Technologies. I started as a, a which is your company, yes, a marketing consultancy. Okay, uh, and I helped people with their trade show booths or branding or sourcing or all kinds oh, of things cool. like that. And I also was a speaker at the Nam shows at, at at their idea center. They used to call it Nam University. Okay, and I would um, I also wrote for some of the trade magazines. Uh, like oh. Music Inc, uh -huh. and had a couple articles in there on how to do effective trade shows and things like that. A and through that, I met the, uh, I developed relationships with companies and met a lot of musicians at those shows who oh, became friends. Oh, gotcha. 
Gotcha. And you started a concert. Yes, there's a there's a show, a, a concert at the NAM show every year that's known as the Living Legends concert, which we insiders call it the Endangered Species concert, <laughs> <laughs> where a lot of these legends performed. And I did what turned out to be the inaugural one. And I had... So it was, your, it was your concept to do it too? Well, it wasn't the concept to have the Living Legends. I just got friends to play that oh. happen to be living legends like Alan White from the drummer from the band Yes and with John Lennon, uh, Bernard Purdy, legendary session drummer and wow. performer, um, Richard Howell, a sax player who's been with Santana and people like that and great jazz career. Um, trying to think who else. Um, it's interesting how many just, musicians, accomplished, yeah. phenomenal musicians there are who, because they're not out front, you don't necessarily know their names. Yes. You know, but like you're saying, these, these musicians who played with this band and that band and that artist, you know. Right. Um, but you, you, you know them. Yes. And you know, and obviously, who they played with and, and a lot a lot of them were friends first. Nice. And, and, and like meeting Jeff Cook, who is the lead guitar player, God rest his soul, from the band Alabama, country mm. music's biggest contemporary country band. Um, I met Jeff at a different trade show, uh -huh. and the way we got to be friends was I blurted out that he needed to lose weight when he was saying his knees hurt. <laughs> that was and an oops, wasn't it? Say that again? Was that an oops? You it, was, really? it was, I really wanted to get the shoe leather out of my mouth. I felt so <laughs> embarrassed, but he was so cool about it. And then I, I made it up to him afterwards by introducing him to one of his, one of his favorite actresses, Barbara Eden, from the TV show in the, the, the I Dream of Jeannie. Yeah, yeah. And, and so we became buddies after that. Then he was your friend, and he, he forgave you first. for blurting out. <laughs> well, one of the things with a lot of these really famous people is that, that in any walk of life, is too many people approach them from a fan perspective. Yes. Oh, you're so great. Oh, you're so this. Oh, you're so that. And they don't speak to them as yeah. if they're human beings. And, and I, just, I know that from doing all the artist interviews that I did with musicians yeah. in the past. You know, we just sit and talk like everyday like people. Like this. Yeah, just, exactly. Just chatting like you and I would do whether there was a camera yeah. on or not. Yeah, exactly. And so Jeff appreciated that I wasn't afraid. Well, I didn't know who he was. I just thought he was this overweight guy with a mullet and then it turns out he's Jeff <laughs> Cook from Alabama. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm embarrassed for months. Oh, and, God. And, but he appreciated it. Yeah, yeah. That's he, fun. He appreciated it. Let's talk about then the, this paid off when you did your project Giving Shelter. Yes. Let's talk about that. Yes. Well, what happened was um, Janine, as you know, had cancer and she, she died, sadly. Um, but I, I learned a lot of things through that and I wanted to do something to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And With people going through cancer treatments, right? Yeah. yeah. Do you and, want me to yeah. share that thing? Let's do. Um, when I was looking at, at Jeff's websites, there's a page that has uh, Janine's story on it. And I was so moved by what Jeff had written that I thought he should just read this because it's beautiful. Well, the, 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 thank you, thank you. The, yeah. the prelude is, I was performing for Saga Musical Instruments every year. They uh -huh. made the guitar for me, which we'll hear in, in a bit. And 
I wasn't there for a couple of shows because I was taking care of my wife and uh -huh. I came back in January 2012 and I had all these amazing people, Spencer Davis, Jeff Pivar, all, all these amazing people performing with me at the Saga booth. Wow. And what was even more amazing was all these real rock stars were in the aisle watching me perform like it was Eddie Van Halen. And I do <laughs> not play like Eddie Van Halen, I promise you that. But it was amazing. I had Blue Oyster Cult looking up my nose as I'm performing. And you know, nose. I mean, they're right there yeah. looking up at me. Yeah. And it's a very intimate setting. Alan you know? White, my friend from Yes, and, uh -huh. and, and some guys from The Ventures uh -huh. and other classic bands. They're all surrounding me. Wow. And at the end of it, uh, the drummer at that, at that performance at the Saga booth said, Wow, I didn't know you were such a good performer. And when Janine died, um, I didn't know about social media at the time and I didn't mm. know about the, all the different things you could do. So I would send an email blog with updates. And in her last week, week and a half of life, I started hearing this song in the radio in my head. And it turned out to be one I wrote after my maternal grandfather died. And I was trying to get into my mother's head of what she was feeling. Mm, mm -hmm. and, and I added that song with uh -huh. that last email announcing uh -huh. that, that Janine had passed. Uh -huh. And so the drummer that I had for this particular show at Saga said, wow, you're a really good performer. I didn't realize that. And you're a good songwriter. Why don't you do a record? Oh. And I'm like, I'm 50 years old. I'm not going to be a rock star. Why do I want to do a record? <laughs> and then I thought about it. And I said, well, all these things I told you earlier in the interview, mm -hmm. Bangladesh, uh, mm -hmm. Farm Aid, Live mm -hmm. Aid, Hurricane Sand, uh, everything that was music as, as a driving force. Mm -hmm. I learned so many things that I'll share mm -hmm. in this letter right now that I felt okay. why I should do the record. Okay. Essentially, with this project, hopefully the first of many, and it's turned out to be the first of a few, I believe that I'm honoring Janine's final wishes. We both believe in helping others and giving back and in not just talking about it, but doing something about it. During Janine's year-long battle with lung cancer, I learned many things. As this project develops, I'll share more, but the primary goal of the album centers on one critical point in particular. We had to live in hotels for more than six months of her battle because the hospital where Janine was being treated was 100 miles away in Southern California traffic from our home. Needless to say, this was financially taxing. When we looked for some relief, I learned there wasn't any nationally organized plan to help families in a similar situation. Nothing from the American Cancer Society, the American Lung Association, or through government-sponsored programs. Some hospitals have housing on campus for current patients. Others, like the one where we were getting treatment, have discounted rates with local hotels. Yet there's nothing on a national level. There are nearly 160,000 people in the United States alone dying of lung cancer each year. There are millions more battling all different kinds of cancer on a daily basis. There are countless charities in place for raising money for research in order to beat this insidious terrorist. Yes, cancer is a terrorist. It strikes fear, shows no mercy or prejudice, and leaves collateral damage wherever it strikes. However, during Janine's battle, we had to, like so many others, foot the bill on our own as there was nowhere to go for financial aid. With your help, through sales of this album, 
and the other projects, the tuners and the speakers that I mentioned when we were on tour, and the album I did for The Shadows of Night that helped us, the Which rock we'll and roll hall thing, yeah. we'll talk about that. Um, I'm trying to change that. I want to be the pebble that makes the, the wake, that creates the wave, that mm -hmm. helps other people, that can get things going. For every album sold, for every tuner sold, for every speaker, pair of speakers sold, for any of my live gigs, um, the profits go directly to this fund that I've been doing since Janine died. The sole purpose is to provide financial aid for those brave warriors in a similar situation to what we experienced. By purchasing the albums or the tuners or the speakers, not only will you hopefully enjoy listening to some of the finest musicians on the planet, but you'll also be helping make Janine's passing have more significance. And most importantly, helping ease the burden for other families in a similar position. Thanks for, I'm gonna cry. Oh. It's good. It's good. <laughs> Thank you for reading that. I know it wasn't easy uh, to read it. And I didn't realize how emotional it would be. Yeah, yeah. And so. it's beautiful what you're doing. Um, let's go into, into more detail about giving shelter. You wrote almost all the songs all or all, all the songs? All the songs. All the songs. Yeah. Uh, everything on giving shelter is... Do you need a minute? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, let's go. Okay. Let's just keep going. Everything on Giving Shelter, I wrote. Uh -huh. um, I should get you a tissue. Yeah. I have them in my pocket. <laughs> okay. um, I, the album was produced by my brother from another mother, Joshua Seth Egan, who um, is an amazing drummer, amazing producer, and an even more amazing friend. Um, he picked up the ball after the first producer or drummer was trying to steal the project and make it his own, um, which was a shame because it was the wrong thing to do. Mm. But it enabled me to finalize the vision. And while Josh was busy doing the drumming tracks, uh -huh. redoing the drums, and after we, we cleaned up everything uh, so he could do the drum tracks, into the studio walks Bernard Fowler of the Rolling Stones. I've had several dinners with Bernard, with other people in our circle, and I figured he couldn't pick me out of a lineup of one by the, at that point. Oh, yeah. So Bernard uh, walks into the studio and he hears, until tonight, the opening song, which Bobby Kimball, the original singer from Toto, yeah. sang. Yeah. And, and, and Bernard's like, what's that? Who's doing that? What, what was that? I want, uh, that's a great song. Can I sing it? And Josh and Lee Bench, the owner of the Steakhouse Recording Studio where we were recording the project, uh, started telling Bernard, well, this is Jeff's album and this was the, the blah, blah, blah. And they were telling uh -huh. how it was for his late wife, Janine, and to do fundraising. And this other guy was not nice. And so we're picking up the pieces. And as Bernard's hearing the story, Bernard is a very tall man very intimidating looking and he's getting angrier and angrier and angrier and you could see his eyes turning like fire yeah and i'm sitting on the couch and i'm feeling like this is intimidating i'm really shy and, <laughs> and i just want to get away 
and he comes over to me after hearing this and he slams his hand down on the coffee table and he's looking at me he said no 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 I'm gonna help you make a great record I promise you this will be a great record so, um, he, said, he says, but I want to sing that song. I said, I really can't because I wrote that with Bobby's voice well, in Bobby, my head. Yeah. And he, I already promised it to him. But I've got another song, which I'm going to play later, uh -huh. um, live, uh -huh. that I think you would be phenomenal with. Yeah. And, and um, thank you. Yeah. So, we go through this thing, and Bernard was a man of his word. He was absolutely stellar in what he did vocally, how encouraging he was, and the professional input that he had. And Josh and I were busy. We'd finished. And you know, mixing. you know that was meant to be because oh, yeah. the moment he walked in, just it, 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 it was, was meant to be serendipity. Yeah, it, exactly. It, it just, I, I kind of feel like Janine had exactly. a little hand in that. So I have a question too. So all these various musicians, yeah. incredibly accomplished musicians. Well, let me back up. The CD, the music that you wrote, the songs mm. are great. The musicianship is top notch. It's so well produced recording wise. I say produced, I know what that means, but that mm. means like the quality of the recording, the way it's mixed, um, that it's tastefully done. You. you know, it's, it's, br it's brilliant. Thank it's you. absolutely brilliant. And, and everyone should hear this CD. And this music, it's it's fantastic. Thank you. But okay, now stepping back, okay. um, the musicians. How did you pick who you picked? And because um, um, you have a wealth of people you could have used on yes. it, you didn't use a wealth of people on it. Yes. Well, uh, the original producer was the original drummer, and he um, picked Darren Johnson as who he worked with. Darren was a keyboard player who was Miles Davis's last keyboard player. He's played with Joni Mitchell. He's, he's just great. That's, uh -huh. Let's just say that. Who also does arranging and, and, and things like that. And uh, the, he was going through a list of bass players and I know quite a few and I wanted Lee, yeah. Lee Sklar. And Lee Sklar is he is oh my god he's played with everybody from James Taylor to Toto and in between he, see there you go plays. with the names you don't know yeah okay he, he's just, he and Russ Kunkel now have a band called the Immediate Family that also includes <laughs> uh, Danny Korchmar who was with them with Lee and Russ in a band called the Section that was James Taylor's backing band and they were also a oh. studio section for so many other people. And, and so Lee is, is I, I've known Lee for several years, and, and I wanted him to do it. Then the, the week of the session, he got a call to do something in the Soviet Union. Well, in Russia, it's not Soviet okay. Union anymore. So he couldn't pass that up. So I called another old friend, Neil Steubenhaus, who's played with everybody from Gino Vanelli to Barbara Streisand and in between. And Neil came in and played bass. I originally, uh, there were two guitar players that I wanted. Uh -huh. The first was Caleb Quay, who was Elton John's original guitarist. Oh, man. And also played with Hall & Oates and Paul McCartney and people you never heard of like that. <laughs> Just little and, artists. And Caleb was the inspiration for me to pick up guitar instead of piano. Because uh -huh. when I was about to write that first song, uh -huh. I could have gone to a piano, but I had heard something from Elton that 
Caleb was playing guitar on and I just loved it. It moved me in a certain way and so I went guitar. Uh -huh. So years later at the Saga booth when they made that guitar for me, the, yeah. the person on my right playing lead guitar was Caleb Quay. Wow. It was the most amazing wow. thing. So serendipity yeah. and I'm what going off the, off the rails. I wanted Caleb and I wanted Steve Lukather from Toto who uh -huh. was another friend. That, um, but Luke just got the gig with Ringo with Ringo Starr oh, from the Beatles. I mean, so how could he turn that down? Right. And Toto was going back on tour and he was doing another tour called the G3 Tour, which are three great guitar players with, oh. with Steve Vai and Joe Satriani, who are two other very Jeez. accomplished. Yeah. So um, the producer brought in Michael Landau, who happened to have been Steve Lukather's childhood, longtime close friend. They grew up challenging oh, they really? each other playing guitar. Didn't and he they, also play on Tori Amos's? Um, uh, Michael Landau's played Little with Seal, James Taylor, you name it. Mm -hmm. Very, very accomplished. Mm -hmm. Became a friend after, after oh, these wow. sessions. So I didn't know him. And then um, most of the rest were either friends of mine or friends mm -hmm. of Josh's uh -huh. who produce and when you complement the production and the engineering and everything right josh is an amazing producer lee bench is one of the best guys mixing mm -hmm. uh, ken isaac Nagel, wow. as i said wonderful yeah. engineer john cranfield another great engineer sam medill who's mastered for many of the biggest acts in the world yeah. it did the mastering on it yeah. so it was sonically amazing because of those people it is sonically amazing yeah and, yeah. and musically, well, these musicians, I mean, it's, they, they brought my songs to life. Yeah, yeah, so. beautiful. Um, and we have a few videos that we can watch of yours. Okay. So let's talk about the first one. Let's talk about, uh, uh, let's, let's include your doggies. Okay. Or Sweet Pea in particular. Okay. <laughs> no, so which video do you want to show first? Well, Sweet Pea was probably my most musical dog uh -huh. of the five. And <laughs> a musical she, dog? A musical dog. She okay. could sing. She could really, really, really sing. And, and we might be able to find a video of one of her early as she was trying to teach herself a song. <laughs> and it's, she vocalized. She would sing harmonies, unisons, or call and response. Dogs are not supposed to do that. And for that. this dog that was this big, uh -huh. seven and a half, eight pounds. She was a her, little tiny. She had this bluesy, guttural thing oh, come going on. on. Oh, it come was, on. It was great. It was, <laughs> it was fantastic. So um, when it was just her and me, she went with me everywhere. She had had three cancer battles, and we beat her cancers, Aww. and she had eye issues, so she needed three different eye drops every day. Uh. So she'd sit on stage with me. And the first video is uh, playing with Bobby Misano uh -huh. at the Kramer Guitars Winery on their stage in their tasting room. Yeah. And Where is that winery at? It's in Paso Robles, California, California Northern, okay. Northern Cal. Okay. And. and Great wines, great people. Yeah. Uh, the Kramers are wonderful and people. And where is she on the stage in the video? Oh, she's in her little bag, it, right in front of the piano, All off right. to the side of me. Let's show that video, but have you talk over it again to explain where she is okay. and stuff. Yeah, so, okay. so let's show that now. All right. Okay. I've had the pleasure of playing with uh, 
guitar legend Bobby Masano, we used to do some duo gigs at the Kramer Guitar Winery. Uh, Sweet Pea is in her little bag uh, under the piano. She was always with me on stage. She was a great stage dog and just a lot of fun to have as company on the road. And Bobby was fun to play with too. She was never intimidated by the loudness of the music or no, anything? she loved it. Bear used to sit with Russ, the drummer. Every drummer that would come over, Bear loved drummers, and he would hang with the drummers. Because <laughs> you would think a dog might be intimidated by, you know. Sweet Pea used, and Sandy, when he was alive, used to run outside when the bands were here. But after, right. after she was just the two of us, that's when she yeah. started singing. Yeah, that's wild. It was and late in life. There's another video that just cracks me up. The French horn. Yes. yes, oh my gosh. We're gonna watch that because it's 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 not very long. It's but but it's so cute. Oh my right. gosh. Where uh, where you had her watching a laptop computer? Yes, we were on Zoom. Uh-huh. And I was giving a, a friend of mine's daughter in Dallas uh, a French horn lesson and Sweet Pea was with me. And she's right there, You'll keeping see it. time. And Her head is so funny. Check this out. <sighs> So you said that Sweet Pea also toured with you? Yeah, she would sit on stage. Um, and like the, the thing at the Kramer Guitars Winery, she drove out to Alamogordo, New Mexico with me. There was this big Tom Petty tribute concert at this classical theater there. Uh -huh. And I was brought in as a hired gun to play percussion. Uh -huh. And she sat with me on my rug. And what was really, and she just sat there all night and she'd come over and get her eye drops when it was time and get a treat and she'd go back and maybe go to her water bowl. She was and such a, a good little have girl. A, have a, a drink of water. But she just wanted to be Is that me. also the benefit concert that you mentioned? Oh, no, no. That's, okay. um, that's where we first found out Sweet Pea could sing. <laughs> I, I had a student band. Okay. Um, that that uh, were these, these guys in their... 50s, early 60s, that um, some had some physical disabilities or um, learning disabilities. Oh, gosh. And they originally started, they wanted to t take their favorite rock songs and put liturgical lyrics on them to perform at church. Okay. And somebody recommended me as a singer, and I didn't really have much to do. It was after Janine died, and I mm -hmm. thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll try it. And of course, I corrupted them from doing liturgical things to doing straight classic rock. <laughs> and we turned into a working band. And we were really pretty good. Uh, finally, I, I had to leave the band. It was just too much for me ah. with everything else that I was doing and with my health issues at the time. And, and um, sadly, the drummer, wonderful, wonderful man named Russ Anderson, had a heart attack and just dropped. Oh gosh. So um, one of the other musicians in our circle and I, we decided we needed to do something to help his widow because they didn't have much money. Mm. So we organized a benefit at a local microbrewery. Oh, what a nice thing to do. And yeah. had 17 musicians that had either been in, as a part of this band or played with Russ at churches or other things all come together. Horn section, a bunch of different guitar players. Were you and, all on stage at the same time? We, we rotated bass, I was gonna players, say. <laughs> bass players and guitar players. Oh, we had fun. horns, we arranged horn parts, we had 
couple of drummers. Josh drove in and played drums. Uh, for the Sounds like part. a lot of work, too. It was a ton of work. And, and Dr. Steve Miller, not Stevie Guitar Miller, uh -huh. um, who plays guitar and bass and horns and stuff, mm. he and I put together the set list and the arrangements and everything. Right. We had rehearsals here, and we had 17 musicians all crowded in this room before <laughs> it was a music room. That was a party. Practicing. <laughs> and here's the point of the story, and I know this is what you're getting to. We were doing a Marshall Tucker song called Can't You See. Uh -huh. It was the first song Sweet Pea ever sang. We're practicing the song, and <laughs> I'm the only one with a microphone. None of the other guys sang. Yeah, so yeah. we're practicing this thing, and all of a sudden I'm hearing this harmony, and it's fantastic. You're not making this up. I, hand on my heart. <laughs> cross my heart, hope to die if I'm lying. Oh, don't do the hope to die no, thing. No, 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 no. <laughs> if I'm lying, I'm dying. And, and I stopped. Who's singing? And I'm looking at everyone. They're all looking around. Wasn't me, wasn't me, wasn't me. Okay, we pick it up again, and I'm hearing it again. <laughs> Sweet pea. Sweet pea. <laughs> and from there, it, it just took off. She, it later in life, developed such a love for music, and she starts singing. And what's really funny is this room, as you can tell, has a little bit of an echo. It's got some yeah. reverb in it's it. It's live, yeah. She loved that, and she became a little diva. She'd run up to the top of the stairs where the reverb is the best and sing just like an opera star. <laughs> But she's singing rock. Can you, you, we ha, you have a video of this too. Can you hear her on the video? Yeah, you can. It's really hard because I was playing the piano and singing one of my songs, and it was about John Lennon's death, actually. Ah. Um, and, and I'm trying to hold the camera, play the piano, and right. get her to sing. And it was when she's first starting, so she wasn't very good yet. Right. She was just kind of working it yeah. out. If I could have had that a month later, yeah. where she'd worked her parts out. Is Amazing. that the same video as the Benefit concert? Um, no, no, it's a different one. It's oh, just her okay. sitting there on the floor. That's why I pointed oh, there. Oh, gotcha. She'd run right by the piano. Gotcha. And if I go or sit down with a guitar, she'd get in her spot on the floor and she'd get in her singing position and, <laughs> right. and she'd let it rip right. if the song moved her. Right, right. So let's show the video. That's, let's show that video if we can get it. Okay. And then also the Benefit concert video as okay, well. Okay, yeah, it's just, it's a little quick thing on the benefit, and the reason for that, of course, is is how so, so many people came together to help raise money for uh, this, this, yeah. this family, and it, again, music at the forefront yeah. of doing good things, and that's why I got into it. Yeah. So to, to be a part of putting something like that together was everything to yeah, me. Yeah. Lastly, the shadows of night. 
Um, you've done a CD, you've played with them, how did you get involved? And uh, what's the story? Okay, um, prison again. <laughs> No, Jimmy Sons, the leader. But these of the are band. lifers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jimmy Sons, the leader of the Shadows of Night, had done a little prison time, but that's another story. Oh, that's another story, right? <laughs> um, the Shadows of Night were a legendary garage rock band out of Chicago that was formed in in the mid '60s. And their hit songs were. Well, their their biggest hit was their cover of Van Morrison's song Gloria. Ah. And. The significance of the Shadows of Night, people look at them maybe as a one-hit wonder, but those in the know know that they influenced so many other bands. Ah, okay. They had the hit with Gloria. Van Morrison didn't. It was a B-side on Baby Please Don't Go from his band mm, called mm -hmm. Them back in 64, Them. 65. <laughs> now, in 1965, on the Billboard Top 100 or Top 40 charts in America, it was filled with British Invasion, Motown and surf music. There was not any rock and roll, not any American rock and roll. Uh -huh. In 1966, because of Gloria and the Shadows of Night, the number one hit of the year was The Monkees. <laughs> there were more Americans on there than the British Invasion. There was uh -huh. more rock and roll again, and it uh -huh. was because of The Shadows. And because of The Shadows being such a big hit, in the Chicago area and from there all okay. it, it's a copycat world mm. all these producers and promoters and everything flocked to the club where they were the house band that's happened with every genre of yes. music along the way yeah. yes they flocked to this place and so from there you got the Buckinghams the Cry and Shames uh, um, New Colony 6 the Ides of March uh -huh. which begat Survivor Jim Peterick was uh -huh. the driving force behind both of those bands um, Jimmy uh, Jimmy Sons helped bands like 38 Special, Chicago, Styx. Really? Um, Ted Nugent's guitar player was the, the guitar teacher, was the guitar player in The Shadows of Night. Oh, I really? Mean, they, they were such an influence. Yeah. So, uh, as I mentioned, I started, the, well, you asked me, mm -hmm. uh, did that inaugural Living Legend show. Mm -hmm. And after that, I was involved with that show for several years at right. the NAMM show, and I was responsible for grabbing all the amplifiers and all the, what they call the back line for the rehearsals oh, in that afternoon job. and for the stage. Yeah. So I was working with them, and they brought Jimmy out from Chicago one year to be the closer and okay. sing Gloria to close oh. the show. And there's all these, Spencer That's Davis. That's perfect for a legend show, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And you had all these amazing, wow. wonderful, famous musicians from, from different bands, or even one band, Blue Oyster Cult, performed as a band. Oh, really? So, um, just amazing. And Jimmy was backstage and being irreverent and with his, <laughs> his, his type of humor, and there were a lot of people who weren't interested in that. And mm. I saw him, and he was kind of not really having success in conversations, so I struck up one with him, yeah. and we clicked. Nice. And he's telling me where he's from in the Chicago area, and it's like, oh yeah, I stay at the Schomburg Marriott all the time when I'm in town, and blah, 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 and all that, and he's like, we became friends. Uh -huh. So that same 2012 show after Janine died, uh -huh. And we jammed a little bit, but he never heard me sing. The same 2012 show that I was talking about where, where I came back and that's where Giving Shelter was born, Jimmy and his, his wife Kathy were there 
and and backstage and they were like where were you last year we missed you oh, uh -huh. and I told them what happened they, oh yeah like, wow I'm sorry well listen yeah. next time you're in Chicago call me and you'll come sing with the band how cool well I did and Jimmy said okay meet me at this this club at this time and we'll be there and we'll sing Jimmy being Jimmy he sent me to a sports bar that was having a karaoke night <laughs> And with all the years that we had known each other and that we'd done things at the NAMM shows, jamming and playing, and, and I was doing, I was playing percussion yeah. or guitar and he was singing, he'd never heard me sing. So he was auditioning me with karaoke. Oh, we did the karaoke, oh, right. I passed the test, and he says, you can play with us anytime. Right. And it just, and, and then there, the, the gal who was running the karaoke, who is, oh, she's in my heart forever. She's one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, was having a very significant birthday coming okay. up. Okay. We, we became really close friends immediately after that. Uh -huh. and, and so she's a musician. She had just lost her mom to cancer. I just lost Janine to cancer. And we had a, one of those in-depth conversations where the rest of the world disappeared. Mm -hmm. And we were just locked mm -hmm. in. And so we started talking and she told me it was a birthday coming up on Memorial Day weekend. And like when a guitar player tells you they have a Jeff Beck Strat, Fender Stratocaster. Oh, wow. It's usually a Jeff Beck model. She had one of Jeff Beck's Strats, one of Toy Caldwell from Marshall Tucker Band's Gibson SGs. She had gear. Uh -huh. So what do you get the musician who has all the gear in the world for their birthday? Gear. A gig. <laughs> you get him a place to play. So we took over a club and had a jam, and I asked Jimmy if he would come. Was this, this was all in Chicago? This was all in Chicago. Okay. And in, in the spring of 2012, Memorial Day weekend, and Jimmy did, I'll do you one better. And he brought the whole Shadows of Night band. So she got to sing with the Shadows of wow. Night, and he had me playing with the band and singing with the band. And at the end of the night, he says, congratulations, you're in the band. That's huge. And so I've been in yeah. the band since 2012. Yeah. And then uh, as we got to be really, really close, he confided in me that, that he lost the trademark so he couldn't do the big kind of tours anymore because oh. he didn't own the name. So I fought and won and bought back the name. You for did. And, and bought back the trademarks, uh, uncovered um, somebody stealing the band's royalties and got that oh. straightened out. And wow. Then that leads us to 2016, Jimmy's 70th birthday. Um, his birthday shows in Chicago are legendary because he brings all the, these amazing musicians from these other legendary yeah. bands. Um, and and they, come, they come and perform with, with the Shadows of Night. Six weeks before the show, Jimmy had a stroke. Mm. And his assistant, Connor Mahoney, a great young kid, great kid I, I just adore him mm -hmm. he's fearless mm -hmm. he, he's the sweetest guy in the world but he's also fearless he's he tracked down three of the surviving classic lineup members they hadn't been in a room together in 49 years they hadn't played together in 50 years wow. we had one rehearsal and we did this show six weeks after Jimmy had a stroke I, I filmed it and uh -huh. I paid a mobile studio to record it. Oh, you did? And we released the album in 2020, and it was uh, considered 
for the Americana Album of the Year at the 2021 Grammys. That's huge. So we didn't make wow. it to the final five, but that was the only. We made album. the final voting though. We made it to the voting round. Yeah, yeah, the final voting. I to remember get the final when you five. right after you did that too. We were sitting in the car. I don't know where we were, and you played me some of it in the car. Yeah. Yeah, and because you said I want to play this for you, you know, and stuff. So it was. It so was and an amazing so you've got the CD, and part yeah. of the funds from the sales of the CD go to well, all, all my profits from all everything. Of it. Yeah, any profit that I get, it goes goes to the fund. I, I've I've bought medicine for people. I deal with alternative treatments that have kept me alive. I've, I've bought that. I've hooked I've hooked them up with my doctor. Hooked other people up with the doctor. I bought a computer for um, somebody, ironically, who wrote one of the forwards in the Shadows of Night CD. Oh, really? Tony Conley, who was a great rock journalist, and he wrote a book about Paul McCartney. Mm -hmm. And I bought him a laptop so mm -hmm. he could finish the book while mm -hmm. he was dealing with cancer. And sadly, we lost him. Oh, but, um, oh gosh. Yeah. He, he just. And, there, and you're like, still going to release the video. Too, right? um, there's honestly, plans? there's plans. I, I, I'm not the bank of Jeff, so I need help. <laughs> I, I really, I, I'm not kidding. I, it, I'd love to finish this movie because it, it's. Would you do it like a documentary? Yeah, or? it's kind of like that. I've oh, got okay. interviews with the band members and some other people, contemporaries of yeah. the time. I've got some other right. people like Will Lee, the bass player from Letterman's yeah. band and the leader of the Fab Faux, one of the leaders of the Fab Faux Beatles tribute wow. band. Wow, uh, one of the greatest yeah. musicians in the world. Um, it, it's some Bunny Carlos, the drummer, the original drummer from Cheap Trick, uh -huh. is also. But then I'm, I'm gathering more wow. because all these people were influenced by the Shadows of Night. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I'd love to finish it. Yeah. And it intersperses the live music. It's one of the most heroic concerts ever because Jimmy just had a stroke. The drummer Tom Shafour hadn't played drums in 42 years. We flew him in from Israel, where he was. Oh, playing, really? He was playing guitar in a Neil Young tribute yeah. run by his rabbi. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Jerry McGeorge, the guitar player, hadn't played live in 16 right. years. And Hawk Walensky, the keyboard yeah. player, who was a legend in the industry, played with Rufus and Chaka Khan. And how cool that you got real. Though that you got acquainted with them and then this yeah. came about. It's oh, all yeah. very, very cool. It's yeah. been amazing. I brought the founder of the band, Warren Rogers, has been off the grid for 40 years. <laughs> and I found him up in the local mountains and, and brought him his award a few weeks ago. Oh, that is so and he was it knocked his yeah. socks off. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It, it, it just, yeah. It, anyway, it's, it's a really fun live album. It's got the live energy of albums like the Rolling Stones, Get Your Yaya's Out, and mm -hmm. Peter Frampton's Comes Alive album, uh -huh. and the cleanliness sonically of the Eagles' Hell Freezes Over. Wow. So it really has the combination of both. It is. It's fantastic, And too. because we did it yeah. as filming as a movie, I had microphones mm -hmm. all over the, right. the, the club. Right. So for the, the um, surround sound, Oh, right, right. So you have microphones on. Oh, that'll you, sound you fantastic. You hear people yeah. laughing at Jimmy's jokes. You right. hear somebody yelling happy birthday. Yeah. You, you get the feeling like that you're in the concert right. when you hear right. it. And once the, the, if I can finish the movie, there <laughs> you can utilize all that. Huh? You'll be in that immersive yeah. thing, like you were there and right, watching right. this heroic concert. Oh, I, mean, I hope you can do amazing. it. I hope you can get it done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this has all been great. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And we've got so much more to talk about. You know, 
And uh, well, so, you're welcome to come back anytime. We'll do that. Yeah, we will do that. Yeah. And so now, will you perform for us? We've talked about all these other musicians and, oh, and then the things you've done. Will you uh, play guitar and sing for us? Okay. All, all right. right. Yeah. I'll put. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. All right, we're here with Jeff, and he is going to play and sing for us a song, first off, from Giving Shelter. And uh, it's all yours. This is um, the song that we were talking about earlier that Bernard Fowler sang on the record. It's called Magic, and I hope you like it. much today Unless you're playing the blues, yeah Cause my baby's gone and my music don't get played Life's not played by my rules, no Stays the same, the sun rises and it sets I'm wondering what for, what for Looking for work, oh it's just another day Oh I miss the magic Lord I miss the magic of the way a smile Always ease my heart And the kisses touch my soul Yes, they did But now she's gone And our roads are far apart We couldn't live both The rock and roll, no I'd give anything Give everything for that magic Soothes me with a gentle voice That magic, oh Of a sweet little smile That magic Well, she could move a mountain with the way she walks She's got that magic style I wrote a letter singing, Mr. President Gotta help me with some blues, yeah I ain't got no way to pay my rent Dang, somebody stole my shoes at mercy Each day's the same, the sun rises and it sets I'm still wondering what for, what for Cause there ain't no sunshine when she's gone I miss that magic Oh, I miss that magic, yeah 
don't feel like singing much today Then I started playing some blues And then it hit me, it's a brand new day Time to play, play by my own rules Yes it is But I'd still give anything Give everything for that magic. She soothed me with a gentle voice. That magic, yeah, of a sweet little smile. That magic, well, she can move a mountain with the way she walks. That magic, oh, she got that magic style. Crazy little wall That magic Of her little girl's smile That magic, oh She can move a mountain With the way she walks She got that magic This one is going to be on the next album, so you're getting to hear a little sneak preview. It's called Looks Like I'm Falling, and I just hopefully about remember it. It's getting tough to look at you these days. Though I try and try to ignore your eyes Can't look away when you are by and I I guess I know the reason why It's getting tough to do much work these days Cause all I do is think of you It doesn't matter what else I got to do And whoa this song's for you Don't know how much longer I can live without your love Don't know if I really care to try Guess I should be stronger I know I would be with your love But without it I'd just cry Like I'm falling in love again Looks like I'm falling in love again Looks like I'm falling in love again Looks like I'm falling in love again Try. 
This next song requires some audience participation, so all of you watching, sing along. People might laugh, but then again, it's a funny song. It's based on a true story, honest to goodness, and when you listen to the song, you're going to shriek at the end. Um, I don't know if I'll tell you the real story, but I wrote it on the back of a Greyhound bus heading from Union City, Pennsylvania back to Hartford, and there were these two young ladies sitting in the seat in front of me telling a story about one of them who just had a blind date and every time something would happen in the story that was off color or gross or a, a cringeworthy moment the one girl kept saying to her girlfriend well he seemed like a nice enough guy and all i had to write on was the vomit bag <laughs> in the seat pocket and I wrote this song about this blind date that this uh, young lady had. And when the chorus comes around, it's he seemed like a nice enough guy. And you'll hear me say, well, or but, or something like that. Then you sing along with me. All right, here we go. Based on a true story. Like a nice enough guy So she figured she'd give him a try Dinner and dancing A little romancing Oh, what a chance she was taking But he seemed like a nice enough guy He suggested they go for a ride his Porsche was parked right outside The hearts started racing when the cops started chasing And then he thought of escaping But he seemed like a nice enough guy He had a 38 strapped to his thigh He 
young her blouse as she sighed What was he doing while the cops were pursuing While her juices were flowing inside Well, he seemed like a nice enough guy What could she do? How could she say no after dawn? Perignon in the Broadway show The sirens were wailing Her heart started racing Oh, who was this guy? Why were they chasing? He seemed like a nice enough guy Well, they lost the cops after a while then with a sinister smile He made her, then later He killed her and he ate her Without ever saying goodbye But he seemed like a nice enough guy Oh yes, yes he seemed like a nice enough guy Now, obviously, she didn't die, or else how could she tell the story? Wow, Jeff. Man, you are so good. Thank you so much oh. for the songs and the playing. Oh, thanks so much for having and me. And we did sing along, too. I saw. I saw. <laughs> Very quietly. It was like lip syncing. <laughs> Milly Vanilli over here. <laughs> Without the choreography, right? No. <laughs> Cindy Joe, thank you, and thank you, Mitch, for making me feel so comfortable and I know it's in my own home but being on your show I'm in your home so thank oh, you so much. Oh that's kind of you thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah yeah and I want to say again please go to the Creativity Inside and Out website and on the website on Jeff's profile on the About the Guest page there will be links to purchase these CDs to help people um, with financial troubles and challenges are dealing with cancer and you had something you wanted to add yeah um, one of the goals is I'm only one person and my vision is to get aligned with an organization that's already set up to distribute funds because unlike a lot of organizations that are fundraising they end up developing an organization and less of the money goes where it's needed. So my vision for this is to get some help from a nationally based organization that can distribute the funds so I can do the things to help make more projects, to raise more money, and help more people. So if you know of anybody, I'd be grateful. You can find my contact information through the, 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 the show's page, website. The show's website. And yes. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Okay, once again, we appreciate your being oh, on the show. My Thanks. pleasure. Thank you. And on the next show, we will have a man named Roger Parham Brown, and he will be performing also guitar and singing, but he will be doing folk songs, uh, much older folk songs, and he has an interesting story as a journalist and a novelist. So we'll see you there. Thank you for watching and or listening to Creativity Inside and Out. I do recommend watching my show if you can, because it's really tailored toward being a visual show. It's available on YouTube. Just search for Creativity Inside and Out and look for the light bulb logo.
If you do listen to the show, go to https colon slash slash creativity dash inside dash and dot captivate dot fm slash listen. There you will find a variety of places where you can listen, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Enjoy watching and or listening. And please, if you would, follow the show and subscribe. That really means a lot to me. Thank you.